Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to a bonus episode of Leading Simple. For all of you who have subscribed, you got this, sent straight to you. Hope you really enjoy this. Last year during the COVID season, I had a chance to have a conversation with Lee Strobel. Lee is a guy that was an atheist. He was also um, an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He decided to use his investigative skills to jump into figuring out how to prove Christianity wrong, and in the end, he became a Christ follower. His story has been made into a book called The Case for Christ, which he wrote, and then was made into a movie called The Case for Christ, which used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but boy, it's worth watching. And I had a chance to talk with him during the COVID season just about the resurrection and life and what it is we believe. I think you're going to really be blessed by our conversation, and I really wanted you to hear it one more time. And so take a listen to my conversation with Lee Strobel. Well, Lee Strobel, great to have you with us. Uh, You were on Real Life Church's stage a few years ago, right before Case for Christ, the movie came out. And uh, I've just always valued your input and your books. And uh, I think Case for Miracles is either out now or coming out. And I know you're working on another one soon, but in light of COVID and everything going on this COVID season, I just wanted to pick your brain on a few things. Sure. Um, and, and first, let me just kind of tee it up this way. It seems like, and you see this because you, you've been a pastor for years and an educator for years, when pressure strikes, it's kind of like squeezing that tube of toothpaste, you know, whatever's in it's going to come out. Yeah. And for some of us, that's been you know, questions of faith and afterlife and God, and it's led people on a great spiritual journey. And for some, it's led them into doubt and anger and why God and led them almost away on their spiritual journey. You know, what, what what are you noticing through this season? Well, certainly you're right that this has heightened our awareness of eternal issues, of issues of death and the afterlife in particular. Um, you know, my own brother, Ray, and my older brother, um, died from the flu in uh, March. Um, we don't know if it was COVID-19 because he was never tested for it, but um, all the indications are it was either COVID-19 or another strain of uh, a virus uh, like the flu that ended up killing him. And, uh, of course, we haven't even been able to gather as a family for any kind of a service um, as a result, because of the pandemic. So, you know, this has brought it home for me in stark terms. And I think for most people, um, when they put the mask on to go to the grocery store and they wonder, am I going to get this virus? What happens if I do? What happens to my children or my family if I were to die? Um, so, I, you know, it, and yet Genesis 50 verse 20 says, uh, what, what uh, was intended for evil, uh, God used for good. And I think there is a good side to this in the sense that it helps all of us ask, what's, what's the next step we can take in our spiritual journey? Wherever we're at, if, if you're a spiritual seeker, is the next step to say, in light of what's going on, uh, I need some answers. I need to investigate whether or not Christianity makes sense. Uh, if you're um, a believer um, and a follower of Jesus is the next step, deeper devotion to him and a deeper understanding, a deeper relationship with him in this world. Um, 
So I, I think it can be used for good as a result of the um, uh, uh, admittedly uh, terrible uh, things that have transpired. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think our theology lines up and that I don't believe God caused this, but I do believe God can use this. Yeah. And so sorry, sorry to hear about your brother. Uh, that's, oh, that's awful uh, anytime. And it's, I, I just know how valuable funerals are for closure and not to be able yeah. to have that. It's, it's really tough. Yeah. So let me just ask about one particular side of this coin then. For those who had maybe put their faith on the back burner, uh, they were, as we in the Christian world refer to as CEOs, you know, Christ Christmas and Easter only people. And, yeah. you know, faith was kind of just eh, whatever. Um, but now they're concerned about the end of the world and death and they're turning back to God. What encouragement would you give them to not let this just be kind of a, a flash in the pan, but actual a spiritual journey pursuit? Well, um, you know, I think a lot of people have what I call spiritual sticking points in their life. There are questions or doubts or hangups that um, are slowing them down and, and, and uh, holding them up in their journey toward full devotion to God. And I think this is a, a terrific opportunity to identify those um, and to deal with those. Sometimes they're not just intellectual questions. Sometimes they're psychological issues. Um, if you look at the famous atheists of history, Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, Freud, Voltaire, Wells, Feuerbach, O'Hare, they all either had a father who died when they were young, divorced their mother when they were young, or with whom they had a very difficult relationship. And the implication is if uh, your earthly father has disappointed or hurt you or abandoned you, you don't want to know a heavenly father. And so this can lead toward a road toward skepticism. Sometimes uh, this is a good environment when we're all stuck in our homes uh, to wrestle with these things. Uh, could there be psychological reasons why I'm not giving my whole life to God? Um, uh, are there questions of faith or doubt that are hanging me up in my journey? And if so, what are they? And how can I go the next step to investigate those and get answers to satisfy my heart and soul? Um, so I think seizing this opportunity, uh, you know, as bad as the situation is, God has given us an opportunity to kind of take a pause and to um, uh, sit down and reflect on our lives, on our future, on our eternity. And uh, I think good things happen when we do that. That's so true. And so much of that is, is your story, where this crisis point with your wife led you to begin asking questions. And and much like a journalist would do, one question leads to the other. Right. You, don't, you don't start with the whole big premise. You, you, know, you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time, yeah. uh, which is, is kind of the journey. I, I think for a lot of seekers, and I think you would, you would agree, you know, it, it starts with one question and kind of going three, three whys deep into why that one's important to you and kind of yeah. drilling down on that. Did you find that to be true for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the questions I like to ask people who are uh, checking out Christianity is to say, uh, if you could ask God any one question and he knew he'd give you an answer right now, what would you ask him? And then 80% um, of the time, it was some permutation of the why does a loving God allow pain and suffering question. And I used to respond by giving him answer, giving him a reason why I believe uh, that circumstance is true. Um, but now I don't. Now I ask a follow-up question. I say, um, when they say to me, why does a loving God allow pain and suffering? My response is to say, um, golly, of all the questions in the universe, why are you asking that one? 
And that gives me an opportunity um, to listen to their personal issues because they'll probably respond by saying, because I've lost my job in this pandemic and I don't know what to do. And I'm, I, I don't want to go through bankruptcy and I'm panicking. Um, uh, I want to know where's God in the middle of that. Or we lost a child in childbirth five years ago. And, and I want to know where was God in the middle of that. So or my wife's been diagnosed with cancer. Whatever it is, it, the personal issue that's driving the intellectual issue is really the one I want to get down to. And often people don't really need a five-point sermon on why God allows pain and suffering. What they need is someone who, who loves them and loves God to put their arm around their shoulder and to pull them close and say, I'm so sorry. How can I help you? Let's talk about it. Let's just take a walk together. Um, that kind of thing. So, there, you know, the, the response of, of, of God to the evil in the world was to send his son into this world to die and suffer more than we ever will. Um, and uh, so his answer to pain and suffering was not just an intellectual answer. It was the answerer. It was Jesus. And uh, that's what people need. And if we can introduce them in the midst of this pandemic to Jesus, they can find uh, courage and peace that they need. Uh, that's a great answer. Um, okay, so I'm going to shift gears just a touch because one of the questions that comes up when people are questioning about, you know, the future and death and sorrow and all of that, and certainly with the revelation, I think it was last week, somebody came out saying they're going to put microchips in us all and all these other things. Are we, are we, and I'm sure you've heard this question, are these the last days? Are we living in the end times? To which I always say, we're always in the end times. Yeah. But I want to know an intellectual's perspective on that question. What would you say to that? You haven't been microchipped yet, Russ, or Rusty? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I volunteer for it. If I don't have to carry a wallet, that'd be great. <laughs> you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a scholar on those issues. I, I, I really think, like you do, I think, that, that um, you know, we are today closer to the end of uh, history than we were yesterday. And tomorrow will be one step closer still. Um, do I believe that the stage is set for... Um, the consummation of history uh, in the not-too-distant future? Yeah, that's my conviction. I think we see signs of that. We saw it in uh, the 1940s when Israel was uh, reconstituted. Uh, so we've seen some biblical prophecies that have come true. Um, but I think there's more to happen, and um, um, I'm, I'm not one to um, sort of micromanage the news of the day and, and try to fit it into some eschatological uh, framework. So um, I can't tell you, I'm not a prophet for sure, uh, but I do know this. I do know that the day will come when God will consummate history or bring it to close. And it's interesting, the Bible says he's, he's not dilly-dallying. Um, uh, he's saying there's a reason he's been waiting. And that reason is there are still some people yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that reason, the Bible says, God is holding back the curtains of history, uh, the consummation of history, the end of the world. He's holding that back and waiting, maybe for somebody who's watching us at this very moment to bend their knee to Jesus, to receive his forgiveness and grace, and to uh, become a child of God and be assured of spending eternity with him. So that's a great expression of the love of God, the fact that he hasn't ended history a long time ago. Uh, there's still people, Rusty, I know that you love and that I love 
who've yet to bend their knee to Jesus. And we're praying that the day will come when they do. And I, for one, am thankful that God has not closed history yet. Well, that's a much better answer than I give. So thank you. I'll, <laughs> I'll just type that out and use that in my, in my speech. You put it on your okay, mic. So, that's right. That's right. I can download it today. Um, all right. So let me, let me shift gears a little bit then because there are some that they've had faith. They've had faith forever. Uh, they, they've been a follower of Jesus forever, active in the church. But during this season, their faith has been shaken. Yeah. And you touched on this just a little bit ago about pain and suffering. But in their case, you know, they've been singing the song. God's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And it doesn't seem like God has come through. They've seen people die. They've seen people lose their jobs. They've been affected by this. What do you say to people whose faith has been shaken during this time as they question not just the existence of God, but, or not even the existence of God, but more the nature of God? Well, I like to look at the fact that of all religious leaders of history, um, one of the unique things about Jesus is that he was honest. You know, if you study Eastern religions, they will tell you that suffering, like the, the death of my brother, uh, the suffering we've endured as a result of that, uh, that's an illusion. That's Maya, they call it. It isn't real. It's just an illusion. But baloney, um, you know, the, what we have suffered as a result of my brother's death is not an illusion. It's not Maya. Jesus was honest. He said in John 16, I tell you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have suffering. But, he said, have courage. I have overcome the world. And so he's telling us, you know, you live in a world that is stained by sin. Um, It's been affected at every level, morally and and through natural circumstances like earthquakes and pandemics. And so you live in a world that's been affected by, uh, by sin. And consequently, you will have trouble. You will have suffering in this world. But interestingly, in that same verse, he says he can give us the two very things that we need the most peace to deal with the present, and courage to deal with the future. And he says, why, why can we have courage? He says, because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. What does he mean by that? By that he means he has returned from the dead, he has overcome the grave, and he has opened heaven for all of us who follow him, who will someday overcome the grave, who will someday be totally healed as we leave this world and spend eternity with him in, 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 uh, in heaven. So it's interesting that this resurrection is the key to everything. In 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, it refers to the living hope that we have. You know, the world doesn't have real hope. The world's hope is like um, um, blind optimism. I'm going to be hopeful even though I know everything's going the other way. Or um, wishful thinking where they, close, they, they, they cross their fingers. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope something's going to happen. The Bible says we have living hope. And it links it specifically, again, to the resurrection of Jesus. So because Jesus proved who he is, the unique son of God, by returning from the dead, because he has overcome the grave, we can have confidence that someday we will as well. And that gives us ultimate hope even in the midst of a pandemic. Oh, so good. I know that for many of us, we've been praying for a miracle through this time, whether it's the end of COVID, the development of a vaccine, the healing of somebody that we love. You just finished a book called The Case for Miracles. 
I say finished, it was probably done a year or two ago. And, you know, you've had to refresh yourself as you're going on the speaking circuit to talk about it. But help us understand, what is a miracle? How is that defined? Um, because I think a lot of us use that term flippantly. We got a parking space on Black Friday. And it was a miracle. You know, our team kicked a, a 60-yard field goal to win the game. It's a miracle. What's yeah. a miracle, Lee? What, what yeah. should we be counting on? Yeah, we throw around that term a lot. But I think uh, the best definition I've seen is by a philosopher named Richard Pertill, who said that a miracle is an event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature uh, in order to show that God has acted in history. So in other words, God has set up the laws of nature. And normally he works through those laws of nature. But there are those exceptions. There are those times when he intervenes. And I think that's the key word, intervenes, because people say, oh, miracles are not possible. Why? Because they violate the laws of nature. You can't violate the laws of nature. Well, a miracle is not a violation of the laws of nature. It's a temporary exception. What it is, is God intervening. In other words, if I take this pen here on my desk, if I were to drop this pen, the law of gravity says it's going to hit the floor. But if I drop this pen and somebody reaches in and grabs it before it hits the floor, they haven't overturned the law of gravity. They haven't violated the law of gravity. They've merely intervened. And if God did set up the world uh, and its laws of nature, which I think we have good evidence of cosmology and physics that he did, um, then of course he can intervene. Uh, you know, it'd be like child's play for him to intervene in the creation that he brought about in the laws of nature that he made. And so um, I think there are times when God doesn't intervene. Now, uh, the struggle comes because we want him to intervene all the time. <laughs> I mean, we would like to see him intervene every day in our lives and make our lives easier. Doesn't quite work that way. Um, uh, miracles are not automatic. Um, they weren't automatic in the New Testament. Uh, it's interesting that in Matthew uh, chapter 10, I believe it is, the disciples are uh, given the authority to heal. And then, uh, you know, several chapters later, they're unable to heal an epileptic boy. Uh, Paul didn't heal everybody. Um, he left Trophimus behind sick while Paul went off on a missionary journey. Uh, so, um, you know, and the Bible says that um, Jesus did not do many miracles in Nazareth. So, you know, healing was not automatic in the New Testament. It's not automatic today. We have to understand God is sovereign. He will do as he will do. He sees things. He understands things. He knows things that we do not. We see through a glass darkly. He sees clearly. He understands um, what's going to uh, unfold. And consequently, we can trust him. Um, when the miracle doesn't come in the way we want it to come, at the time that we want it to come, uh, God isn't a vending machine, um, but we can trust him that um, ultimately uh, those of us, for instance, who suffered as a result of the pandemic, who have been ill, who, who suffered physically and uh, emotionally in our health, um, you know, God promises uh, that uh, either in this world or as we transition as his followers, the world to come, uh, we will all be healed of those uh, illnesses that have befallen us. Oh, that's so good. I, I recall the words of, I think it was Dallas Willard who said, at some, we start off with the faith in Jesus, and at some point we have to have the faith of Jesus. Yeah. You know, where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, all right, your will be done. Here we go. And yeah. uh, 
it doesn't always lead to uh, a resurrection right away. It has to go through a cross. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting. You, you bring that up, Rusty, because uh, in this time of the pandemic, uh, a lot of us are feeling anxiety. A lot of us are feeling worry. Um, and, and and yet, Jesus. You mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus experienced such anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane that it says he he sweat blood. Now. I used to think, like a skeptic when I was an atheist, that that was just uh, ridiculous. He can't sweat blood. And then I did the research, and I found 76 cases in a medical journal documenting the fact that there is a known medical condition called hematidrosis, uh, in which uh, great anxiety or anguish causes our capillaries to break down and blood to be released into our sweat glands. And we do indeed sweat blood. So... um, uh, but, but my point is, Jesus felt anguish. But what's the difference between the anguish that Jesus felt and the anxiety that we feel is that Jesus felt anguish because he knew what was coming. We feel anxiety because we're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not sure when the pandemic is going to end. We're not sure we're going to get our job back. We're not sure if our business is going to go bankrupt. Um, and, and, and so that uh, creates worry in us. It creates anxiety in us. And and that's, that's understandable in this pandemic. Um, uh, I think, the key is, you know, how do we, how do we use it? How, do how does it become productive worry? Well, and that's what I was going to ask you, because that's such a great clarification between the two, anxiety about what we know to come and anxiety about what we fear to come. Um, you just have recently completed a series of talks on worry, and I was seeing some of those online. Can you direct all of our viewers to where to find those? Because I thought they were fantastic. Oh, thanks. Um, actually, I think Vimeo has them. So uh, the title of the talk was The Antidote to Worry. And uh, if they go mm-hmm. to Vimeo, they can find that. Uh, but one of the things I point out is worry for Christians is essentially spiritual amnesia. In other words, um, we forget how God has been faithful in his promises. You know, Christian hope is the hope, the, uh, the biblical hope that God can and will fulfill the promises that he's made to us. And we, we tend to get spiritual amnesia. We forget all the times in our lives, in my life, in your life, in history, how God has fulfilled his promises to us. And um, yeah, the disciples did that. I mean, if, if you look in Mark uh, chapter 6, the disciples are fretting because Jesus is preaching to 5,000 people, and all of a sudden he says, let's feed them all. And they're going, oh, my gosh, how can we do that? We can't do that. Well, they forgot what happened in, in, in Mark uh, 1 through 5, chapters 1 through 5, where Jesus healed all kinds of diseases, where he raised a girl from the dead, where he calmed the storm. I mean, he demonstrated his power over nature, over illness, over even death, and they forgot that. And, uh, and, and so Jesus does end up feeding, feeding the 5,000 with a couple of fish and so forth. But then in, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is again, this time speaking to 4,000 people. And he says, hey, let's feed them. And instead of saying, oh, well, disciples say, we can do that. No problem. Jesus did it last time. He can do it again. No, they get all worried again. And they're, how are we going to do that? We're in the middle of nowhere. Can, and you think, how can they do that? But I do that. You know, when I worry, it's like, um, golly, I've forgotten the track record that God has in my life of coming through for me, of caring for me, of loving me, of of pouring out his grace for me. And uh, sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that. 
and get us past this kind of spiritual amnesia that takes us down too much uh, fretting and, and, and uh, to become anxiety ridden. So good. Yeah. Such a, I, I love the disciples and this is, you know, you've written about this, but one of the reasons I do believe the gospels because they're just bumbling fools at times and makes me feel so much better about myself. <laughs> That's true. Well, Lee, I'm so grateful for all that you have done for the kingdom, for the church, for especially skeptics like you once were and just helping us on our spiritual journey and being our, uh, our guide through such complex you know, issues, the case for Christ, the case for faith, the case for um, you know, creation, and now the case for miracles, and soon to come the case for heaven. Uh, and we're just so grateful for you. So praying for you and your family, and especially as you grieve the loss of your brother. And thanks for being a friend to Real Life Church Ministries over these years, and look forward to catching up again soon. Well, thanks, Rusty. I love you. Love your church. I really enjoyed being there a few years ago. Uh, love what God is doing through, uh, as we text and say, all y'all uh, out there in sure. California. So God bless, God's blessings to each and every person who's part of your uh, fellowship there. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We're coming back on Wednesday with a new episode, but with some refreshed content from an incredible guest we had last year, helping us understand what Passover means to Christians. If you have a Jewish friend, you may wanna have them listen to this because I think it's really gonna help them process where Christ falls into their Jewish faith and how they might be closer to becoming a Christ follower than they ever thought. So make sure that you're ready for that. That's coming up on Wednesday as we release that podcast with my friend, Tuvia Sayetsky. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.